This is a podcast from Minute Media. This is a CW Spiral, a podcast run by two Barties and a Bughead. We're your hosts, Sabrina Reed, Michael Patterson, and Reed Gowden. Bringing you history about the network, the latest news, and in-depth spoiler-filled discussions of some of our favorite shows on the CW. Welcome back to another episode with the CW Spiral. Very excited to be launching into this pod because we've put ourselves in charge of the CW for this pod. Does that mean we have any powers to save a thing? No, but it does mean that we were going to tell you how we would run this network, this network if it was our decisions at the top about, of the charts. It's about time, right? Yes. <laughs> It definitely is. But before we launch into that and the one piece of news that we have for um, this pod, I'm excited because we have a little treat for you guys. I did an interview with Kasser Mohammed, who plays Dr. Amina Dewan, aka Fast Track on The Flash. And let's just say I had a lot of fun talking to her. So here we go. So, Kasser, I am very, very excited to be speaking to you today. Likewise. Yes, <laughs> Hi, especially after, well, first of all, I have to say I really, really love Fast Track. I think <laughs> that Amina Dewan is like an excellent addition to the show, and mm-hmm. it's just been so great um, seeing you perform on The Flash. Thank you. It's been so much fun. And also just seeing that people are resonating with the character has been all the more fun. So yeah, I'm duly really excited. <laughs> it's been a quite a journey for you though, because uh, when we started the CW television uh, year, we were with you as Soraya on 4400 and you yeah. didn't have powers, and but no. you were a tech whiz. But now you do have powers as Dr. Mina Dewan and you're a speedster. So what was and that I'm journey like? With. Yes, <laughs> you're a genius, actually, like leveled up, as the flashbacks would say. Yeah, no, it's 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 fun. And yeah, it was funny because in the 4400, I was like one of the only characters who didn't have powers. And then this comes around um, and definitely have them. But I guess the, the like the nerd thing is sticking around, the, the yeah. tech person is sticking around. <laughs> but I am for it. But it's also pretty funny because I'm very technologically challenged in my real life. So. Thus, so, thus, thus is acting. <laughs> true, true. Um, which I mean is good because I think there's a with your character there's a nice balance of her being like a genius, but then also being someone who's new to the speedster world. So you get to do you get to have um, both sides of the line there. Yeah, I think one was one of the like most freeing things was uh, in the first episode that I shot where we sort of reveal Mina that one. Uh, it was the director was Daniel Banabaker and she was like, you can practice your zooming, but just like, don't be too good, you know, because <laughs> like the whole pro- the whole intention of it was that flash helps Dr. Mina that one get better. So when I was practicing how to like zoom, I was also practicing how do I kind of make it look like I'm flailing and falling a little bit too. <laughs> so there was a natural progression in terms of learning about all that, that I really appreciated. And then by the fourth one, yeah, I think my zooms were a little better. I hope. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely tell that they're better. Uh, I also <laughs> like that um, because we start at the beginning of Mina's journey. We also get the reveal of first we have her disguise, which I really liked. I wasn't sure if that was a nod to her heritage because it's a scarf and then a face covering. Um, and if it is a nod to her heritage, were you involved in that decision, or was that always the plan before we got to the actual costume? I think. And perhaps 
costume designer Kate Main, who's brilliant and amazing, is probably best to speak on that. I don't think it was a nod to it. I think it was truly just trying to cover up. They were also oh, okay. kind of pulling, I think, from their own inspiration. Um, yeah, and and you know, I, I I'd be. I think if it was a nod to it, I might have uh, pushed back on it a little bit, actually, okay. if, if there was that connection. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, I did think it was interesting, though, how we do start, like they allude to her costume, because we start with her in all black anyway. And then by the time that we get to her full-blown speedster um, outfit, it is, it's very much giving the negative force that she is learning to be in command of. Yeah. And you kind of see what I love was it was, that was a conversation with Kate Maine actually about how like black being sort of this through line and silver, small things, but like even the jewelry was largely silver the whole time, sort of honor that. And uh, seeing the progression of that outfit also felt like that, that like standard superhero thing that you see where like, you know, they have the outfit they made at home and then they get a real one that's made of, tighter spandex and it's 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 their iconic outfit <laughs> and how did it feel um putting on the suit for the first time well it was very tight um i will say that <laughs> um and the whole time like I, whenever i was either putting it on or taking it off it totally was a 10 minute process but so much fun um but honestly even when i was in it it was it was a very surreal feeling um, to just look in the mirror and be like, oh my God, I'm, I'm wearing this thing. Um, it also made me, you know, feel, uh, like I could probably like pick fights when I normally couldn't, or, you know, beat people up though. I normally can't in real life, but you know, that's superhero confidence that comes with the suit. <laughs> that's true. And you did actually kick a lot of butt in the lot in negative part <laughs> one. Uh, right before things went left. Uh, but it's interesting how uh, integral Mina is to the last part of, of season eight. Did you know going in that they were going to throw you into the thick of things and give you a romance? Or did that happen along the way? Yeah, I had no idea. Even when I got the sides initially, I didn't know what I was sort of getting myself into, but it was so much fun. And it was also just uh, such a joy to sort of have so many ups and downs within the character within four episodes you really got to see the whole arc of her emotions and even in the next episode from the finale you get to see even a bigger arc of it so from an acting point of view it was just like a very juicy way to step into a role that I'm grateful for uh, yeah, I, I expect that when we get to the finale, after all of the screaming, which, by the way, Mina was a mood in that moment when, uh, like, Eobard, as we know him, um, outside of her her love, uh, appears or rips his face off, uh, was a lot. What was it like uh, shooting that scene? So it was very cold. And I think it was very, very early in the morning, one of our night shoots, uh, but also so fun. I mean, I got to scream bloody murder over and over again. So I enjoyed it, you know? <laughs> and um, I think also just the, the, the moment of it is kind of a big moment for Mina. She's, this is the person she's loved who's gotten, gotten her through so much. So from that aspect, it was, from that aspect, it was really fun. And then on top of it, just seeing the way they put that together, how they worked with the VFX to make it look like this man was ripping his face off uh, was very cool. And it was also wild seeing the prosthetics on the floor, not cute. 
Not cute when he's ripping it off and not cute when it's on the floor. <laughs> Equally <laughs> terrifying. <laughs> uh, and so are we, can you tease a little bit about the finale? I'm assuming we're starting like immediately after that moment happens, but like emotionally for Mina, are we, I know she's been balancing the line of like not letting the negative force corrupt her as a person. Now that she doesn't have Eobard, she would be worried about uh, the direction for her character. I, what I will say is that uh, in the second part, part, we get to see a little bit more of all of Mina's emotions and sort of what, what she goes through. Um, and I think Mina's purpose is, is also internally as a person is also shooken up a little. So we get to see an exploration of that. I'm excited. Um, and I really do hope, um, and I'm not sure if you can tell us or not, but we, just because we haven't gotten to the season finale yet, but I'd love to see Mina in season nine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I I would, I love Mina. She's a very, very dear character to my heart. And, you know, we'll, we'll have to see, but I know that it's, um, it's something I would be excited about. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm on like I'm gonna manifest it. That's what we do. Thank you. Um, we'll we'll manifest you. it. Yes, we'll manifest, manifest it together. <laughs> <laughs> um, just to circle back to one question, um, and I hope it's okay if I ask this, but you said you would push back if it, um Mina's uh in I guess her disguise if it had been based on her heritage. Uh, what do you mean by that? Absolutely. So I think portrayals of Muslims in the media is already fairly stark and misrepresented, misrepresented. And so often, you know, we affiliate uh, the hijab or the head covering with Muslim women. And it definitely is a part of our culture and religion. But also Muslims are not a monolith. And we mm -hmm. exist in so many ways with or without hijabs. I am a Muslim woman. I don't cover. And um, and I also have many Muslim friends who do cover. But I think so often that's all we see in the media. So I think my pushback would be the questions of if this is something that is inspired by the heritage or one, is Mina Dawan Muslim, which is not something that was touched on in the book, in the comic books. So it, is that even a thing or are we conflating South Asians and Muslim folks? And then on top of that, um, if she is a Muslim woman, is she really one that covers all the time or is it just something that's being thrown into the disguise? And I think it is an interesting thing because, you know, typically superheroes do cover up. Um, and I think I'm, I, it's also one of those things where like I've sort of gotten that before, you know, if I'm wearing a head covering, people assume that it's because, or just a scarf on my head, people assume that it's because it's a practice of me being Muslim when really maybe that moment I'm just wearing a scarf on my head. And if I had lighter skin and different features, that wouldn't be the assumption. So I think my pushback overall would be an intention of diversifying what we think of as Muslim and, and who we see of as Muslim and how do Muslims exist on our screens. Mm, okay. I think that's a personal some unpacking for me. I appreciated this discussion. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, one last question, because um, I know that you also have the final season of uh, the Jurassic Park animated series on Netflix. Um, so you could just tease a little bit about what's to come for your character. Absolutely. I love this series. We've seen like four seasons so far of these kids essentially running for their lives <laughs> from dinosaurs. And we get to see sort of what that leads up to in season five. And it's also a totally different sphere in sort of this Jurassic canon franchise, as well as to what they're up against. 
And as always, the animation is beautiful. And as always, we get to see these kids experience things in a different way. And personally, my character, Yaz Fadula, we get to see a side of her we haven't seen before that I am so, so excited to share back. And I feel that has been, you know, brewing throughout. So I'm, I'm so, so excited for everybody to check out season five of Jurassic Five as well. Jurassic Five. I just said Jurassic Five. Jurassic Park. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sure it's going to be just as exciting as it has been for you to be as fast track. Um, mm-hmm. I cannot wait until to see the rest of, of Mina's journey on the show. Like we said, manifesting for her appearance in season nine. There we go. Um, and it's been lovely talking to you, Kassar. Thanks. And thanks for the thoughtful questions. And it was so good talking to you as well. Back to the news. <laughs> Our one piece of news is that All American Homecoming all 13 episodes are available to stream on HBO Max now. So you can binge y'all. If you haven't seen it, now you should. I will be binging and I will starting be starting over from the beginning. Because <laughs> <laughs> as we know, I got really, really, really behind in a bad way. Um, but I'm excited to watch it all at once now. Yeah, you can get the drama of whoever Damon's father is. We, I mean, we talked about it on the pod, but if this is your first time listening to us, we mm. won't spoil it for you. I don't even remember. I know you spoiled it, but I don't remember. <laughs> oh, well, it's a ride. It's, it's a ride to, to finding out who his dad is. Oh, and also, Royal Ivy King, who plays Nate on the show, got bumped up to series regular. So I am very, very, very much hoping for more Nate stories come season two excited i thought they were already a series regular but i mean making it official is amazing they were recurring which i guess makes sense um as far as like the lack of plots that were just about them but i am happy that now that they're a series regular we can get more nate stories and possibly a romance fingers crossed i don't know what they would put her with who would they put her with but i want to see a romance same And since that's just the news, we're going to launch right into I really want to talk about what we do (laughs) as we plan this. And I have to say the first thing on the top of the agenda is promoting the shows. Obviously, I mean, you'd think that's a no brainer, but here we are. (laughs) (laughs) I know, because like what they do regularly is like you see promos on the actual channel and sometimes on YouTube, but for the most part, a lot of these shows are fighting for their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they, they just have no visibility anywhere else besides the CW. <laughs> I know. And it's it's such a shame because a lot there's a lot of good content. I know CW has like a bad reputation for the quality that it offers people, but I also feel like a lot of people are saying that and they haven't watched near a show in like five years. Mm-mm. This network used to make multiple posters like per episode for some of their shows. There would be multiple trailers or whatnot. We know last, was it last season? They started, some shows didn't get trailers at all. They stopped doing weekly promos for them. It just feels like as the time has gone on, the promo has gotten so bad. And like bringing any of that back would be a start. Like remember when the Flash used to promote this villain with a poster or that villain with a poster and now you'd be lucky if you get maybe two posters a season. It's just gotten so bad at the stage that anytime there is like a little bit of promo, people are like, oh, is that show still on? Because they have not been promoting them in between those little bits of promo. And I think it also depends like what um, 
what the definition of promotion is, right? Because there's yeah. so many different things. Like we just don't see CW stars on talk shows mm-hmm. or late night shows or doing anything, unless you're the reveal cast. I mean, you can get booked on those shows and like Comic-Con, but that's not accessible to everybody. Not everybody's going to seek out a Comic-Con panel on YouTube or go to Comic-Con. So like where we see a lot of other network stars promoting their shows on Jimmy Fallon and Jimmy Kimmel and all the Jimmys and Ellen or whatever, like you just don't see them popping up as much on Kelly Clarkson or whatever. Like, it, I don't know why that doesn't happen. I don't either. And I, one when I was walking through the kitchen one day and we just had the TV on and um, the talk was playing and Jenna, who plays Lucy and Superman and Lois came on, I was like, Lucy? Lucy Lane? Because <laughs> like, I was so surprised to be seeing her on a talk show. Granted, she was talking about Samantha Lois and her other show, which I believe is The Rookie. So perhaps that is how they were able to slot both in at the same time. But I, out of all the years that I've been watching the CW, I haven't seen any of them really pop up on um, daytime television talk shows either. Or even hosting Saturday Night Live. Like, I think I've said this before, like they have so many talented actors on their network that can do more than just drama. Like KJ comes to mind, Liz comes to mind, even Stephen Amell from Arrow, how many years ago, I was surprised he never got booked on Saturday Night Live. Like that's a really big promotional tool. I know it's probably difficult because I mean, that's New York and they film in different countries for these shows. So, and the schedules are tight, but like, I don't know, make it work. <laughs> yeah, they can definitely break it up from time to time. And like to the the Lucy reference reminded me of like the good old days of Supergirl season one because that was the last time we saw her. And I remember when that show was on. Now I don't even live in the states, and I'm still well aware of the fact that that cast was on every major talk show. They were talking about the show, they were promoting the show. There were there were billboards in LA promoting the show. In fact, I'm pretty sure if you watch the first season of Lucifer back, you can actually still see the Supergirl billboards all over Los Angeles. And it, the minute that show went to the CW, it was crickets. People are like six years later. Oh, is that show still on? Because they remember the promo train that CBS rode out for the first season. And it's like, why can't the CW at least muster at least half of that kind of promo? I think what we've seen too, is that um, the CW has relied a lot on like reboots and spinoffs. And it's not just them. So many other networks and streamers do too. And I feel like they think it's because it's built in promo. Like they think like the fan base is going to show up, but that the novelty wears off after the initial, like, Oh my gosh, there's a Walker Texas Ranger reboot on the CW. Like you have to keep like promoting it because like, as I saw with 90210 back in the day, like there was all that hype around the first season. And then for the next, the last four seasons of that show, it just ran on pure vibes. (laughs) Like there was no promotion. Like they didn't have the actors doing anything. I don't know. It's um, you can't rely on name recognition or brand recognition to sustain a show for multiple seasons. You can't, especially because depending on how long it's been since like the original one went off, you have to, there's a balance you have to strike with the fan base who did not want it to be rebooted or revived, who were fine with where the story ended. And then the people who are, are intrigued, but need to be enticed more to stay on the train. I mean, look at Gossip Girl, the the updated version for HBO Max. They were hustling their butts 
for marketing. Like they were truly in the trenches on Twitter, they on Instagram, they were everywhere. And they, they had were, they had the cast on the cover of Cosmo and they had them doing like all those promo videos on YouTube with all the different outlets. Like they just don't do that in the CW and I don't understand. <laughs> they don't and they need to because a lot of the like the spin-offs have suffered trying to get their own like audience. Um there's Charmed, which was like a hobbling from the beginning. The only promotion Charmed has gotten has been the back and forth of the media between the original girls and the new girls. Yes. And like, <laughs> and that was not fair to the reboot cast at all. I mean, they did what they could, but um, what they're what the show is mostly known for outside of those who watched it is the bad vibes and blood between the reboot cast and the OG cast, which by the way, is still going on. We're not going to get into it, but my uh-uh. goodness, no. the show is off and it's still, <laughs> still got problems. Um, and that's when I think about like all American homecoming, like that is like a, a spinoff that includes a character from, a, from the show that everyone knows Simone, but it still had to find its own audience. Because you might like Simone, but it's not Spencer's story anymore. We're, t- we're like we're away from LA. We're in um, Atlanta, Georgia. It's we're dealing with two sports that um, were not really played or discussed um, on All American tennis and baseball, and so it it has to have its own base that may not be the same base as the All American fans. I mean, yes, there was crossover, and people from All American did. Um, hop over to watch All American Homecoming too, but I would love to know how many people are watching All American Homecoming who've never seen a th- an episode of All American, but mm. enjoy the spinoff. That's a really interesting thought because a lot of the CW's spinoffs, reboots, as we said, are all based on like popular or well-renowned IP, whereas All American Homecoming kind of is different because it's based on a CW property. That's where it started, so it's it, it, it it'll be interesting if we can look back in a few years and see that. Did it start its own kind of franchise the way it's been relying on other ones? Can it build that or, or, or has that period kind of come too late in the game? Because we're at a stage now where like CW shows are being rebooted, just not on CW anymore, like Gossip Girl, for example. And some of the promo seems to be better on, on the HBO Max end of things. So it, it, it is, it's going to be an interesting conversation, I think, for the years that come, particularly since we're in such an interesting period for the CW at the moment. That's true. And they've got two um, spinoffs coming in fall. <laughs> like, so we'll see how well Walker Independence and um, the Winchesters do, you know, on their own. Because they are, well, um, the Winchesters has the benefit of Jensen. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and I guess Walker Independence has the benefit of Jared. So perhaps they will sort of fare better. Um, initially as people were like, well, I like the Supernatural guys and these are two different shows, but perhaps I'll tune in just to see what they've brought to the table, even though neither of them are in their respective spinoffs. Isn't Jensen the narrator though? He is, but like, I guess that's true. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Unless they do show scenes of Dean and like we're in the car with him as he's writing in this journal, explaining this part of history that he was not a part of, but we'll see. There was new footage of him in the trailer, wasn't there? So I can see them maybe relying on that quite heavily throughout season one as they try to build their own base. And maybe if it's successful, then kind of like uh, curtail it a little bit, the same way kind of Love Victor did with the Love Simon ties, Mm -hmm. less and less as it goes on. Mm, I like that. I like that. I don't know how Walker Independence is going to do this with Jensen, not Jensen, Jared, though. 
Um, unless he is the voiceover too. Like we're just gonna do narrators oh, as, as the first seasons. <laughs> a broody look back at different times. <laughs> yes. Um, but besides promoting shows, we all like, well, no, this is a part of promotion too. Tie in game shows, y'all. Put your stars on the game shows that you have. That's something that um, other networks do really well. I think particularly ABC and NBC. Um, but like, I know Liz has been on Whose Line Is It Anyway? But I mean... Did they promote it? Because I, I don't remember. <laughs> I don't want to shade <laughs> Whose Line Is It Anyway? But like, I mean, who, who's tuning into that? <laughs> <laughs> Mm, like I don't what's, know. Like, is the Venn diagram of like Dynasty and whose line is it? And they tuned in probably for Liz. That much I can probably count on. But like, I just don't think that whose line is it anyway is the kind of um, draw. Oh my God. I'm sorry. Whose line is it anyway? I'm sure you're great. But <laughs> well, it's been on for like, I remember watching that show my as a whole child. Life. It's been yeah. on for like decades. <laughs> so I just don't know. You're right. Who's the target audience though? Like, do. The people who watch whose line is it anyway, like religiously, regularly, do they care that Liz Gillies is on the show? Like, or is it just another young actress to them? I know, like in my mind, the regular whose line viewers, like, who's this girl? She seems fun. And then there's the Liz fans that tuned in for her. Um, I don't know. I just see all these different like fun like singing competitions, like that one. I didn't look up the name of it. Jimmy Fallon had that new one where he had like the whole voice cast on and like all these different celebrities and they have to like sing or something. I don't know. And then they get like sprayed with water. There's just like nothing fun like that on the CW. <laughs> and I feel like that would be something fun in the summer when the cast maybe isn't filming or maybe they have a break after they film a movie to like promote their show. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, in some ways the CW kind of acts like Disney where they have their actors, regardless of singing ability, sing at least once in the entire run of the series. Yeah. To put them on a game show that the makes sense. The entire Riverdale cast. Like, that would be such a fun episode of some kind of singing show. <laughs> <laughs> it would be. Or, like, you know, the CW could make its own. Like, even mm. if you don't put them on, like, Jimmy Fallon's, you could, I, I don't know what you would call it, the CW sing-along? I don't know. Yeah, but I, like, like, I mean, we're not here to give the idea. We're just here to, like, pitch the concept. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We're the consultants. <laughs> Which another like concept to pitch the CW talk. Why don't they have their own talk show? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You said it's, it. <laughs> like just do it. I mean, it was a syndication farm anyway. So you would think mm-hmm. that um they would have already been like, you know what's the best way to promote our shows? Get some young thing to sit down at this table and interview everybody. We don't care who it is. She could be brand new. He could be brand new. Just put them out there. Interview our stars. Didn't I say Lily Reinhardt should have a show? Mm-hmm. You did. You did. did. That's so right. Yes. <laughs> so right. Just like a little half hour with Lily. You could call it that too. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. Like she loves talking about body positivity and politics, but also having fun. Those TikToks between her, Cammy, and Madeline mm-hmm. are always a good time. Like, could you imagine the three of them like chatting it up on her show and then bringing other guest stars? That would be incredible. Like, we're just giving away free ideas at this point, and I don't know how I feel <laughs> about it. <laughs> I mean, we're just trying to like help the CW. Yeah, push them in the right direction. I know, because the thing that we're doing right now, at least for the summer, is that we're 
were all majority acquisition with exception to Roswell, New Mexico um, and in the dark. Uh, and I, summer at the CW is not a fun time. I mean, the bump might be fun because again, a 16 year old Catholic school student who's pregnant, who could is in a, com- a half hour comedy, that sounds like it'll be funny and vulnerable and sweet at times, but we're not checking into devils. The con- the financial conspiracy thriller. Um, I've had enough of Braxat. We can't do this again. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not. Um, what is the other show that they're doing? Oh, Leonardo. Which you know, I might actually see what they're doing in that historical drama. But it's just another acquisition. Mm-hmm. We had talked about that in the summer fun episode where we questioned the actual fun, and it's just there are so many other networks that don't rely on solely scripted programming in the summer and i know the cw has some unscripted content but once again it's not really of the fun variety (laughs) no because like when we talked about it um for like what's coming next year which i don't even i'm not even sure if that's going to be a summer show but recipe for disaster you were like who's watching the cooking show on on the cw i'm like where are the dating shows where is like next top model not that i want that to come back but like where's that stuff at I don't. They could do an influencer house. That would or, be fun. I, they could. <laughs> I meant fun in a, like a, a tragically bad way, but you know that's what some reality TV yeah. is. Yeah. It did. I now the conversation you guys had a few weeks ago about the summer schedules really. It's enlightening because this network used to this network felt like it was revolutionizing summer during the pandemic by showing actual content during the summer months, like actual proper TV shows that were spilling into the summer. And now it feels like their long term is to go back to a quiet summer. But at the moment, they're kind of stuck in that awkward phase between partial reality, partial acquisition, one or, well, one or two maybe leftover shows that haven't completed their run yet. And it is, it's very, it's a very awkward time because it's, it's not a fun lineup. No, and I want it to be fun. I don't want the CW to be like, we have fun in the fall, we have fun in the mid-season, we get to the summer and we're just trying to stay alive as a network <laughs> until we get back to the fall. I don't and know. And that seems what they're doing. Yeah, something's got to give. We it need does. that 50-50 of like fun unscripted, emphasis on fun, and then a few of the sh- other shows sprinkled in. I know, because again, like you had said with Big Brother Teen, I mean, Granted, CBS Studios is divesting majority ownership of the CW, but that doesn't mean that they're not going to still pitch shows to the network once they're bought. Mm -hmm. So pitch that, CBS. Something with longevity, something that will keep people tuning in week to week, because as we often do, we maybe tune in for a week and then we dip when it's not really something that holds our attention, but like something that brings us back every week that we want to see. I don't know. I just... They need to do it. <laughs> I know they I keep do. saying it, but they just need to do it. <laughs> they do, because I just, one way to start that though, um, and I we are always constantly like uplifting and praising Liz Gillies because, I mean, we should, but mm-hmm. also she should get an overall deal. I feel yeah. like she brings so much creativity yeah. and read when you pitch that. I was like, yes. <laughs> yeah, that was my my thing. I was like, I if I ran the CW, I would just give Liz Gillies an overall deal. No, no real reason. No, I just feel like she needs to be making things. <laughs> yes. And I mean, she could do non-scripted. I mean, a comedy 
through her vision, like just let her play on the network. Or she could host the singing competition. Mm-hmm. Yes. That just came to my mind. She seems like she'd be a great host and she can sing. Uh, see, in those breakout performances, like when they, like we have the lull before voting, if they're going to do a singing competition, how great would it be with her in a band? Just rock yeah. it out. Just like the Kelly Clarkson show where Kelly sings mm-hmm. the song in the beginning of it. Like, I want Liz karaoke. <laughs> that would be so much fun. Again, CW, why aren't we having fun in the summer? I just don't understand. Seriously, like me as the CW president, I'd just be like throwing money at Liz. Be like, <laughs> <laughs> I know you have good ideas. Just go do it. <laughs> I won't ask questions. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. And then as far as you could have a summer Arrowverse show too like if we're not talking about non-scripted i know michael you pitched a birds of prey series for the canaries this is where i get to hop on my green arrow and the canaries <laughs> train again um, on it. Yes. <laughs> um yeah no i feel like the arrow versus ever evolving and we're not in the right place at the moment and it's seems it's a dark time to be an Arrowverse fan and uh you have those shows like Superman at Lois which aren't really Arrowverse but it are um the flash is on its way out you need more Arrowverse this this franchise has sailed the network through the last decade and it could very well if done right could sail it through the next decade so stick to your DC programming absolutely but uh, we'll talk about this another time but I don't think Gotham Knights was the right direction to go to maintain your DC fan base so right why don't they look back at what they what they could have done before without a doubt the biggest missed opportunity from the Arrow versus being that Birds of Press series that never happened I know that eventually evolved into Green Arrow and the Canaries but like when Arrow was in its second season, people were talking about this and it just never happened. There are so many great female heroes, villains waiting to be redeemed. All of that could literally come to life in a Birds of Prey series. It feels like such a missed opportunity. But because it's been such a missed opportunity and it's been so many years, I think people would come back for it. People would tune in for it. It's going to be an interesting time for superhero stuff on this network going forward. And we'll we, we'll see something of a more like diversified, like spaced out kind of landscape. But I do think that there's still scope to bring the Arrowverse back together with all these shows. Of course, if I was in control, Legends of Tomorrow would be back. Batwoman <laughs> would be back. The Wonder Girl prequel or the Wonder Girl series that we're supposed to do and then didn't. That would be on her. Green Arrow and the Canaries would be on her. And this feels like such an obvious thing to say, but like give us that Batman series. Like that would get people tuning in. I feel like I look at look at how well Superman and Lois has done. Make us a Batman series, but not like the the old Arrowverse shows. Do it like Superman at Lois, and then it's a big budget, constricted, constricted to like thirteen episodes. Solid, real suit. Bring back the the Val Kilmer bat suit, only without the bat nipples. Just remove them. <laughs> we don't need those. Um, uh, but like, bring back one of those suits. It's ready made. It's there. Give us a big budget Batman series, separate from everything else. It can be Arrowverse in the way that Superman and Lois is, and people would tune in. I feel like that's that kind of like that itch they have and scratch that people have been waiting for them to do for ages. And I think if you want promo, if you want viewers, if you want buzz, a Batman series would definitely be the way to go. And I think if they did it in the style of Superman and Lois, they could pull it off very, very well. I agree. And it's I, I really want a Batman series, but also I would love to see the Canaries back, like you mentioned, Michael, mm-hmm. because currently it's a boys club. We have oh, Stargirl, yeah. and that is about it. They they took away Legends of Tomorrow, even though we are still very hashtag, say, Legends of Tomorrow, and they took away Batwoman. Again, 
hashtag save that woman. Um, so it's like where Stargirl, I don't know how many more seasons she has, but she can't be the only female superhero with the lead role on the CW. Like not after um, this era of having more than that. Like, I don't know. They don't have anything in the development pipeline, but they need to put something there. Definitely. I felt like we went from a lot of potential ideas that weren't explored to nothing. And that's it. Like they didn't replace any of these ideas with anything else. And like you said, Green Arrow and the Canaries, Wonder Girl, there's so much more for like a diverse female-led landscape. And between those, Anton, or not going ahead, Batwoman, Anton, Supergirl, Anton, where's the representation, people? Uh, The Arrowverse was moving in a nice female-led direction, and I would like to see a lot more of that. Yes. Yes, see, every time we talk about the CW, which we do like champion because we do love the CW, we're not on a break, but we are having a little complicated relationship with the network (laughs) as everybody is. It's complicated. It's complicated. Like, and we just want to see the the network thrive. And one of the ways to do that also, if we're not going to just do IP and franchises, is more original content like not just things like i want a batman show michael wants a batman show read i think you'll support us and that's that's where you are with yeah. it. <laughs> but like but what about things we never seen before things that don't have a, a a canon or comics history to fall back on like where is that content yeah they've relied so heavily on um franchises and building more of them we have three more coming technically in the next year. Um, and of course that always brings in the built-in gripes from fans about Canon, as you said, and like, it doesn't look right. It doesn't do this. And it's like, how beneficial is that to branching out these franchises when you could um, maybe try to optimize a, a new legacy, start a new um, show that maybe isn't based on, any existing IP, whether it's a book or a movie or <laughs> another series, like what's the, what's the give and take there? Like what's the over under, what's the, the risk and benefit? I don't know all those weird terms. Like what I don't, I want to know why they keep relying on all of that. Cause is it money? I don't know. But I think the hot take here is that um, maybe we take a beat <laughs> on franchising. <laughs> I think so too, or at least uh, like have at least one show that is just from the mind of whatever creator um, and see what happens. I mean, they could strike gold. It could be magical. And then that could be a franchise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is interesting because it feels like they're just, as you mentioned earlier on, it's like they're solely relying on something that may have an inbuilt fan base and maybe they need them more than ever, but at a time when it's continuing to reinvent itself is now not the time to experiment and see what does a C, what does a CW original drama look like in this era of Netflix originals and Disney plus originals? What does a CW original series look like? And that's quite exciting because the network has had its own reputation for what it is over the years. And ever since it's kind of moved into the superhero world, that's gotten murky and it lost itself a little bit. But like, what would a CW original look like in 2022? We'll not find out in 2022, but maybe we'll find out in 2023 or 2024. Maybe because they did have success with it, with All-American. Like, mm-hmm. it's based on um, Spencer Paysinger's life. 
right? And he was involved in the creation of the show. And All American is a very popular television show for the CW. You, you did it once, you can do it again. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they did it with Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which wasn't super popular, but it was critically acclaimed. Same as In the Dark. I was going to say Jane the Virgin, but I think that's based on... I think that's a tele- uh, television. Yeah, I think that's an yeah. adaption or ad- adaptation, whatever. Um, but yeah, like, they've done it before. So like, it may not be as... Um, maybe all American is the exception, not the rule to like mm-hmm. the popularity of original shows. But I mean, all those shows that we've mentioned are well-liked at the very least. Yeah. And so it, I think there needs to be room for innovation and creativity. That's not just someone, one a showrunner playing in somebody else's sandbox. Like let's give like a creator who has their own sandbox the time to shine. Mm-hmm. I don't know, fingers crossed that that happens. Um, which, you know, you could, if we're too scared to do it for another series, TV movies that aren't the Waltons. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a few. <laughs> Why the Waltons? <laughs> That's what I want to know. I remember when they first announced that and I was like, on the CW though? Why not? Why not Hallmark Channel? Why is it on the CW? Who's watching the Waltons? on um the dare to define network mm-hmm. but okay yeah i don't know it's it's weird to me that they haven't like launched their own series of tv movies when like i, I know it's, it's a broadcast network but like we've seen like freeform have success with original movies mm-hmm. in the past and some networks do have original movies but it seems a like a really good space for the cw to fill yeah, for sure. I mean, they have they have visible stars to be putting in these movies. It's mm-hmm. one of the ones to do one in the middle of a of a break. Amber, when Cloak and Dagger um, was canceled on Freeform, Olivia Holt was, a, I believe, in a Thanksgiving movie called Turkey Day. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a, I think it was like a Thanksgiving rom com, but um, it was like a moment for her. I at mean, least we need, on that we need more Thanksgiving movies. <laughs> We do. And since the, the CW had shows that often did Thanksgiving show, um, mm-hmm. content episodes, I'm losing my words. And in any case, they had Thanksgiving celebrations on the CW. Why not just have a TV movie that features casts from popular shows in a Thanksgiving moment? And that or any holiday. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. That would be an interesting crossover that might get fans from different shows tuning in to see their favorite actors from different shows. And like the, the, the beauty with TV movies is that on the night success, it's one and done. You don't need to maintain that the way that uh, a TV series needs to. Like it could have a great pilot and then dropped off the face of the earth by the end of the season. Whereas the TV movies kind of like on the night is what the importance is. And if it, if, if you, if you can cross promote, uh, get actors from different shows, uh, cross over different fan bases on that one night, you might strike gold and then that'll set the stage for either spinoffs or sequels or whatever. But it's just, I feel like there's less pressure with a TV movie and they're all the thing, all the pieces could fall into place re- really, really easily. And again, at such a time of experimentation, now might be the time to try it. Yeah. I mean, also they could try limited series too. Like mm-hmm. we're just throwing everything at like um, on the table. You have TV movies, you have limited series. Everything does not have to be like four seasons. 
there are some things that you could decide to to do. And it's like 13 episodes, 10 episodes, more than four though. HBO Max sometimes comes out with like four episode, like miniseries. And I'm like, just make it a movie. It's fine. Like- <laughs> <laughs> I know it's so like, it's so weird when you click on a show and you're like five episodes. That's not a TV show. No, <laughs> it's like a two part movie. Just, like, just But like, if you were going to do like a real true limited series, on the CW you could even do like to circle back to what Michael was talking about you could even do other DCIP that just doesn't have like the breath of life for a whole whole like multiple season type of series but could do really well in 13 episodes and then promote the crap out of it as like an event like Obi-Wan or like whatever else Disney Plus has been doing I know it's Disney Plus and CW's apples and like watermelon (laughs) not even apples and oranges (laughs) like two completely different (laughs) things but like that's something that you can bet on and you don't have Mm -hmm. to bet on for more than eight weeks, 10 weeks, however long it is. Like it's such a flash in the pan thing that you can promote and then turn your back on (laughs) if it doesn't work. (laughs) Like you don't need that. You don't need to cancel it or renew it or mess with it. Exactly. And I feel like they kind of like did that with that show Contagion. Was it Contagion? The one with Chris Wood in it a couple of years ago. I don't think there was ever supposed to be a second season of that. And great. We don't always need second seasons, but that's a great point about the DC IPs. Like I hate to use this example, but like say I take a Batman character like Joker and make a six part series out of him. You can guarantee those people would tune in for those six weeks or six days whenever you, you show it and then drop it and move on to something else. I think the DC library is so vast. Not everything needs to be an eight season story because people will start criticizing it like we're about to with the Flash. But you, you know <laughs> what I mean? Um, it's just there's so much scope there. And like use that Warner Brothers slash DC connection it, to your favor, I, I don't understand why I haven't done it more and canceled a load of ideas that had real potential. Like, yeah, a miniseries I think could be the future and it would be the great way of like maintaining audiences for a short amount of time and then trying to appeal to a different audience at the same time rather than having to worry about ratings declining six, seven years down the line. People love to hate watch a limited series and talk about it every week on Twitter. Like that in itself is promotion. Once people start Mm -hmm. like, it's not always a hate watch, but sometimes people do. They love to make their memes. So I'm like, anything they have in development that's not really going to series, like repackage it into like an eight, like Powerpuff. How fun would a Powerpuff (laughs) limited series be where we all just like get on Twitter every week and just like bash it. (laughs) (laughs) Like lovingly, of course. (laughs) Yes, because it also based on the script that did get leaked, it was going to be a campy mess anyway. It's like they were going to lean hard into the nonsense. And Twitter loves making fun of some nonsense, even if they're like also eating it up with a spoon the entire time. Mm-hmm. Like, can you believe she said that? Like, yes, here's the clip. Watch it again. Like, it's just, they could do that. I don't see why we're, we're not doing that. And people these days are, I think, more inclined to, watch something with a lower commitment if like if they mm-hmm. know it has an end date they don't have to worry about it being canceled or like where to find the next episode or whatever so i think it could be um a great um future for them in this next chapter <laughs> it could be and then like one last suggestion besides you know moratorium on reboots um <laughs> like unless it's been like more than like 10 years uh it would be rerun your classic shows all the time Mm -hmm. who doesn't love nostalgia i know like just why isn't gilmore girls on 
running on the weekends at times why isn't like one tree hill running on the weekends at times like now if it is doing that and we're not aware of that that's also a problem or like even summer yeah it can be like a fun thing throwbacks yeah that could be really fun how do you think they could fit two seasons into a summer and so then the next summer you get like three and four i mean maybe if they did like back to back of two episodes mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. i don't know see that's fun yeah. I don't know why, like, just bring it back. And especially because they're promoting really heavily, like, the CWC content on um, on their YouTube channel, which took all three of us by surprise. Every time <laughs> it, it pops up, we're like, you were promoting the secret circle? I mean, we're here for it, but, <laughs> <laughs> like, surprise. Yeah, definitely. And I feel like so shows like that from a different era would kind of garner some interest in the ways that maybe some of modern ones don't maybe that's because of the whole pre-established fan base i don't know but like a rerun of superman at lois shown randomly during the week can get half the audience that a normal episode does and that's still bigger than some of the new shows get so like imagine if they decided to rerun a show like arrow or whatnot i'm sure the intrigue would be there because like let's particularly the 10th anniversary is coming up now from when it all started celebrate the 10th anniversary of the Arrowverse with the show that started it all I could definitely see them doing that if they market it. They don't, so they won't. But I mean, like, it would be cool if they did. Even if it was something simple and branded like Throwback Thursday, where they play two episodes every Thursday during the summer of Mm -hmm. an old show, it doesn't even have to be a full season. It could just be like, oh, tonight we're going to play the 90210 pilot, and then we're going to play a Supernatural episode. They could even do, like, fan-voted ones, like, Mm -hmm. what episode of The Vampire Diaries do you want to see this Thursday or something? It could be really... um, a fun way to bring fans into it and to do something that nobody else is really doing to my knowledge mm-hmm. i like throwback thursday on the cw you can also plug the cw seed right after um if they have any other yeah. content on there it's a good cross-pollination to be like watch the rest of the series on the cw seed <laughs> <laughs> it would be i just really I really think all of our ideas are amazing. And I'm not just saying that because it's us. I just think <laughs> because a lot of some of the stuff that we talked about is stuff that fans have asked for over the years and have not gotten at all. Um, and we're fans. We just want to see the CW thrive because it's going to be a struggle the next year mm-hmm. as we head into the fall. And for some shows, um, as we <laughs> head into the finales, but thankfully, we get to be positive first, and we get to talk about <laughs> Superman and Lois, which was finally back after yet another hiatus. Um, and I have to say, once again, they are showing up everyone. Like, were to even begin with that episode, like, I, I remember thinking that I needed to tweet something about it during the middle of it and as soon as you try to write that tweet something else major happened something else major happened something else major happened and like i will contrast it with the flash but i'll get to that point later but like this is an example of how you pack so much into an episode without it feeling overblown. it felt like all the arcs were coming together at the right time and the tension built up nicely by taking it down a peg that was quite quiet episode for the first half while the town figured out what was going on with the red sun why was there a square sun in their sky and whether whether the heroes wanted to share the truth with all of them it built up the tension nicely so that it just let it rip at the final seven minutes of the episode and then that set the stage for the finale beautifully like again where it even began 
it was like a steaming pot. And I love how like they take things that sound ridiculous and make them sound so serious. Because when they were like, there's a there's a square sun in the sky. And I was like, okay, but like you're watching and you're like, there is a square sun in the sky and what are they going to do? And like um, the DOD trying to say that's a phenomenon that's rare. And everyone's like, no, it's not. (laughs) Tell us the actual truth. But I also really love that this episode was about um, the importance of secrets and why sometimes it's okay to lie um, about Mm -hmm. what's going on. Um, I love how much they've done with Lana this season as she like she's like being pulled into the fold she's realizing just how much of a tightrope those who are in power have to walk oh without a doubt and i feel like her character development has been amazing this season because we always said how she was the more realistic part of the show and the fact now that you're trying they're slowly starting to merge her with the more like unsettling supernatural half of it and you get to see how she a woman who's no only known real things around her i know they live in this world where superman exists but smallville has been very much a realistic world for her and you're getting to see how she processes all of that and the pressure she's now under by holding that secret and she's only had it for what two weeks and you can already see it starting to get to her and like the tension it's creating in her family and i will say my favorite scene in the episode was where she held the town hall and the former mayor was being a I'm not going to say the word on the podcast, but being very mean to her and Superman showed up and had her back. First of all, I completely lost faith in the town of Smallville for those five seconds and Superman and Lana both together had a nice way of turning it around. So you totally had faith in Smallville in the end. That was an incredible scene. I was just going to bring that scene up because while I was watching, I was kind of conflicted because um, I hated to see her flounder and try to prove her her knowledge and her worth as a mayor in the face of these men who were screaming, which by the way, her ex-husband stood up in the middle of it. And I was like, why didn't you get up sooner? Not that I, she needed a man to like save her, but I was like, I didn't know you were even in the room, sir. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but it, I was also conflicted when Superman shows up to be like the voice of reason. Cause I'm like, part of me really wants Lana to be able to, to, um, have that power in herself and to be taken seriously without having a man to be like, actually you need to listen to her. But like in the end, they really landed that plane and walked that tightrope really well. And I thought it was a really powerful scene where she, they have that complicated, you know, relationship going on now, her and Superman and Clark. And it was just that moment where they could like look at each other sort of as equals and Mm -hmm. realize they both have a power that they can use in unison. Yeah, I felt the same way, Reed, because it was it was very hard to sit through her really giving them all the information, which she did not have to do. Um, and the way that they were mocking her as it was, and they were like, well, Superman would save us. And it's just like, OK, but your mayor is trying to lay out what's happening um, because she is the one with the information. Superman is sight unseen right now. Um, and you're scoffing as if you Superman is a is not human. He's from another planet. But somehow it's too much for you to understand that there's another world um, and that there are doppelgangers um, who look just like you that you should stay away from. And I did. I was like, oh, Clark's here. And I'm happy Clark is here. But I really wish yeah. that some of them would have been like, no, listen to the mayor. Like, um, but I get like his introduction to the scene also reminds them that like there are more things in this on this earth and in the universe 
then you understand. And it was a good moment to be like, Superman is Lana's best friend, pipe down. (laughs) (laughs) So I did like that. I do, you're right, that they did walk the tightrope really well because him walking to stand next to her rather than having everybody turn around and face him or or her going to go sit down as he talked, um, that could have tipped the scales away from her. And what it did, him standing beside her, balance the scales to show that like not only does she know what she's talking about but she has she's authoritative right superman is here because he should be here for the town of smallville and because he trusts lana lang and if superman trusts lana lang y'all need to be trusting lana lang (laughs) yeah like that's the the best endorsement she could get i think yes (laughs) so if she's ever running for president which i doubt because she's already like mayor is Y'all are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like giving. I don't know if you guys ever watched Parks and Recreation, but it was very much like Leslie Nope trying to wrangle Pawnee, <laughs> <laughs> and no one's taking her seriously, and she's just like, oh, "I'm so good at my job. Why is everybody being annoying?" Because <laughs> everyone wants like answers like right up front, and it's just like, and then you give them the answers, then they get mad for for you giving them the mm-hmm. answers. And unfortunately, it's a very um, realistic theme, right? Like, mm-hmm. even though this is about like larger than life sci-fi different dimensions things it can be applied to what happens in our own government and local governments not to get too deep but mm-hmm. just wanted to, to give it some um credit where credit's due that it was very real true and I, that's one of the things i really like about superman and lois um it can have its moments of golly gee and then it can also do um, very like poignant storytelling and very looks and the very, I guess not surface level, but but deep enough, you know, where it doesn't feel heavy handed, but does like show a reflection of what mm-hmm. life is like for us out here in the real world and not in the TV screen. Um, and then they give you the impact of the powers. And I really love the moment in the hallway when you can really, you can tell that Sarah is about to find out. Um, They introduced that so well. Um, And I know I was like team save it to season three, Um, but I do like how they did it. Yeah. I feel like that was the, that was a payoff that was earned. Um, And the fact that it was, it it, it was all led up to with uh, Bizarro Lana as well. The fact that the two of them were in the same hallway and that Sarah had her OMG moment before she had a real OMG moment. Jordan styled it out brilliantly with the turn and the red eyes and the run in slow motion. That was scary. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I feel like it, it, it was definitely an earned moment and everything i know we were critical of some of the way their arc panned out but it, it does feel like it earned it, it earned that moment and then it made it there like I, I was very happy with how that came out because they could have done it for quite there could have been multiple ways they did it wrong and they didn't i was very happy with that moment i'm curious to see if she really like metabolizes the gravity of the situation or if that arc will be saved for season three because there's still so much to do that i don't know if this particular character moment will have like enough time to really you know like get there i don't know i'm just curious to see like the the fallout of like her like putting the pieces together like she's gonna have to deal with it on like a realistic level an emotional level and like so many other things and i don't know it just seems like a lot to pack into a finale it does perhaps we'll only get like her and lana actually being able to have the conversation because you do have that great small moment i think they're in the garage where um where Sarah clearly doesn't know that um 
Jordan is Superman's son. Like she noticed that he had, and I was at first when I was watching it, I was like, well, how doesn't she know? And I was like, wait, all she saw was red eyes. She has no idea other than that he has powers, what that might mean. And Lana's like, I need you to slow your roll. I need you to wait and let me talk to you because you don't understand the gravity of what's going on right now. Because Sarah's like, I broke up with him because he was, he wasn't there. And, um, and now I know why, and this could have made differences. Like it's, he's not like um, tag. He's not like tag at all. This is not a random child who has powers. If you would just let your mom have a moment with you mm-hmm. to slow down. And wasn't she still putting the pieces together when she saw Superman and her mom have like a, a connection? She's kind of like, wait, what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's like, shouldn't she have that moment? That's why you went for that walk. And I was like, hold on, Sarah's mind's working overtime here. She literally pieced all the pieces together in that like car journey. And it's, it, yeah, it's interesting because the season's done a great job of highlighting that there are people out there with powers that aren't aliens. So it, it, it's not like in a moment of Supergirl where you suddenly see her with red eyes. You're like, you're Supergirl. It's like there are many possibilities for what Jordan could be. And I don't think she's figured out that Superman's son is at the top of that list of possibilities yet. So you're right. I don't know how they're going to get through all that in one episode. But it does remind me of something you said, Reed, and it said as how so many situations particularly in this show could be solved by someone just telling someone the truth but they're not going to do that (laughs) because it's television and it was quite refreshing to see that she might already be understanding now that she knows the truth and she's like why didn't you just tell me and you're like that could have solved the problem but it seems that her anger is going to be targeted towards Lana, which also might be misplaced because Lana's only been telling him not to tell her for like two weeks. It's been Clark and Lois has not been telling him not to tell her for the for the, the remain how many long one year two years of the show. So, yeah, I feel like that's a good emotional arc to build up for the finale, but I don't know if they'll have enough time to fully dive into it, and no doubt there will be a time jump to skip it all out by the time season three starts. Yeah, but I guess the good thing about it though is that we're now invested in Sarah and Jordan when mm-hmm. we were not invested in Sarah and Jordan's like drama, but now that the cat is out the bag and she's, they've done it in a way where she has, she's starting to figure it out. It makes it intriguing. Mm-hmm. It does. And now we've been very hard on Jordan because of some of the, of the way he's been portrayed, but I just he was want annoying. To, let's be yeah, real. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. <laughs> you said, I'm not going to, um, uh, but let's just take a moment because the guy came through for his family in that episode. Like he, he practically took on two fully blown Kryptonians without any, well, he had assistance from Natalie in the end. That, that was great. But like for, for in season one, he was told he wasn't a fully blood, fully blood crypto, Kryptonian and he'd never be like Superman. Like he held his own and he saved his family. So I just wanted to give him a bit of a round of applause mm-hmm. because he came through for his fam in the end. Yes, through the power of Sarah's scream. Which, <laughs> <laughs> like, if there's anyone he's going to go full on power for, it would be Sarah. Because he, him hearing that scream definitely had him, as the Flash writers would say, level up. Oh, he leveled up, yes. We just, thank God we just don't need to say it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, but speaking of that, though, I do think I want to give a little shout out to like the emotional arc of Natalie's journey, mm-hmm. having um, once again lost her, her father. Um, and the way that they played it um, with her and John Henry, where he, like, he's like, he locked her suit so she couldn't go with him because he knew she would fly after him. Like the trauma of like being able to hear him go out of, of her headphones and not being able to communicate with him. Um, and then um, being placed not with her mom, but the doppelganger of her mom and Clark. Um, that is, 
if, if John Henry's not back by the season two finale, that um, through line into season three is going to be very interesting emotionally mm-hmm. for her, especially tied with her connection to Jonathan and Jordan, because that moment with her and Jordan, where like she throws the hammer, he catches it, and then he um, hits, was that, I can't remember if that was Bazaar or Jonathan or Lana that he conked with the hammer. It was Lana, I think, yes, because Natalie took out Jonathan with, with the hammer beforehand, yeah. Okay. What was Jonathan up to? Like real Jonathan. Standing I was, outside. He, he okay, I, was lose, I always lose track of him. <laughs> okay, he was he was where he needed to be on the sidelines. Exactly. Just looking concerned on the side. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly it. <laughs> <laughs> but it made me think about Justice U. And if they if we're sort of trying to figure out how you want the kids to be in Justice U by touring around with the kids on Superman and Lois, I'm all for it. Mm-hmm. Cannot wait to see some super powered college age kids figuring out um, what to do in a battlefield. Oh yeah, definitely. And I feel like Superman and Lois has done a great job of like building towards that. I, I don't think we'll get it nonstop in season three, like we did in season two, but uh, the uh, the Jordan stuff has always been quite, they've, they've paced it very, very well. And now that we've seen a version of Jonathan with powers, I don't think we actually need to see the real Jonathan get powers especially Ooh. since the toyed with that XK thing. I'm okay for him being the lowest of the family. Um, they the, the, are the John Henry Irons of the family, Whatever, whether they want him to use his mind, whether they want him to use a hammer, whatever they do. But I feel like they toyed with that in season one. And then we actually got to see him, a version of him in season two, both versions of him actually, because the real Jonathan took XK. So we got to see both versions of him with powers. And that evil Superboy Jonathan was awesome. But now that we've done that, I think we can go back to some deep emotional stuff for Jonathan because I feel like the, as far as we talked about this before, but as far as the character goes, he always gets left on the sidelines. And I feel like there's a ton of story there that they could tell with him. And I hope they actually delve into that in season three. Um, I hope so too. Um, we'll probably save like a larger discussion for the finale, but I really want them to go back to um, Lois in Jonathan Bonding. Or what it's like to be the human on the sidelines who still has powerful in their own right, but having to, to navigate that in a family of supers. Definitely. I think that was the best, probably the best scene of season one for me. So the fact that they haven't had as much time in season two has been a little bit of a disappointment. I get why, but like, I would like to see more of their time. I know it's all, we, we want to see Clark bond with Jonathan because all Clark ever does is bond with Jordan. So it would be nice to see that too, but some Lois and Jonathan time is long overdue. For sure. For sure. Maybe we'll get that in this, in the finale though, fingers crossed mm-hmm. uh, for where this alley storyline is going. Um, but to hop over to Tom Swift, a show that we do love, but, um, and the chocolate Cowboys, that's the name of the episode was a lot. Uh, there's, there's a lot of emotion in, in that episode. Um, how did y'all feel about it? There was, okay. I want to say before I get into the episode that pairing it with Superman and Lois is a lot because after that episode, my brain was like just all over the place. And then diving into Tom Swift, I was like, hold on, I need like an hour to figure out what just happened on Superman <laughs> and Lois. <laughs> so like, I feel like there's bits and pieces of Tom Swift that I missed while I was still reeling, but um, the, the episode gave me a lot of laughs. I loved when Tom yelled at Lino and he was like, look at me. I was like, that was a perfect line meeting. I don't know if you guys remember that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it got really heavy toward the end, which I wasn't super expecting. Yeah. I, 
I figured it might do that when like the synopsis was basically like Tom becomes his dad. Um, Mm -hmm. But I didn't expect, I thought it was going to be, you know, him just getting a little carried away with being the one in charge and being the protector of, of Lino, his brother. But like that, that real moment of you are acting just like Barton because Lino doesn't agree with the way that you want to do this. Suddenly he's somehow wrong. When Lino called him Uncle Barton, I gasped. I was like, oh, oh, (laughs) (laughs) oh, okay. (laughs) That's the thing about some episodes like this. When you see the promo for it, you're like, oh, this looks like a fun one. But I always love when a series takes a show or it takes a concept that could be used for fun and uses it to further the arcs. Like that's probably one of the most, the deepest the story has gone yet. And there was less like lingo and less like jargon, technologically speaking. There was less problems that Barkley could solve and a lot of this was human stuff and it worked really really nicely and uh, the tension in the Zenzi storyline as well like again off the back of a very tense Superman and Lois I totally get what you're saying <laughs> that was a lot because the, the, ten- the tension in that episode kept building and building nicely towards the end it did and like so that you have the heaviness of what's happening with Lino and Tom mm-hmm. and then you have Isaac who was going through PTSD flashbacks while trying to keep Zenzi alive, who thinks that she is bossing her way through this, um, this, this not date with Eskel. Yeah. She was was like, that's like girl boss, gatekeep. (laughs) And it was like, girl, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) She was. And I was like, and she's like, um, and I get that she did not want Isaac, you know, backseat driving. Um, But at the same time, like it wasn't a date. And she was treating it partly like that. And once again, I am team Zenzi. Please, yeah. please have better taste in men. Because um, Eskel is not it, especially him, Mr. Peach Cobbler in, um, um, was it Native Son? Yeah. I was like, yeah, the home staple and the black canon <laughs> literature. Sir, please try again. Because <laughs> no, but she was eating it up and I was not. <laughs> You saw right through them. <laughs> yes, it's not Native Son. No, I don't believe that that's your favorite book. Um, but but I also work well for her character, though. I think she is trying to, she clearly wants, she's a woman who wants to be in love. Mm-hmm. Um, she wants partnership. And I, she is willing to give some men just too much of the benefit of the doubt. Um, when Isaac, you know, he's right there. I am team Isaac and Zenzi. Clearly, though, he has a lot of trauma to go through, you know, to, to unpack yeah. uh, before. Because I didn't know the girlfriend died at all. Mm. Mm. That was when he confided in her in the car at the end. That was a very powerful scene. And I think was it when he had the like the the uh, the primary worries about something happening to her right at the end. And then he had that moment and that attack. I think that's when it dawned on me that this didn't go down like he said. But even with that the reveal then in the end just through dialogue that scene was very powerful it was and now i'm sad on isaac's behalf Mm -hmm. um i am happy though he got to talk about it um and talked about it with zenzi i think both of them not that tom doesn't sort of hide how he's feeling but i think zenzi and isaac push down how they feel probably the most on the show at least right now um and to have that private moment in the car to really discuss it, even just a little bit for Isaac, that was that was great. And these are all really important moments to have, especially in a first season and the first, what, four episodes to establish these, not just characters, but the relationships that will help set the stage for the com- 
the rest of the series. Like we know mm-hmm. we're gonna know who these people are, what they went through, and how it got them that got them to this point, and what they learn together with these things that they choose to share with each other, either in confidence or in so many words. <laughs> yeah. And the dynamics are so great too. Like you do get different. I mean, obviously you're going to get different stories when you pair different characters, but what they choose to share with one another and why they choose to do it. I think the writers for this show do a great job of um, pacing that well. Uh, and they also leave a little room to give you a little sneak peek of what's coming next because Lino in Isaac's conversation on the plane, when he tells him that he's going to help him find his mom, I was like, when is this woman showing up? Because I want to know who she is. I want to know what's going on. Oh, she'll be here soon. If they mention it, that it's, it's a little foreshadowing. But speaking of what's coming next, did you see, not to completely switch gears, but the photo of Zenzi from next week's episode? nice with the the bob i was the like bob was it always giving us a moment <laughs> it was like and she's got like um it's for the cotillion um she is she truly stepped out for the occasion mm-hmm. ashley is killing this role mm-hmm. and embodying everything about zenzi oh, i love it i know and then which is why which is why i wish it was paired with dynasty with mm-hmm. the most sense like programmer cw programmer what are we doing with the superman and lois lead-in How's how's that? It's too much for my brain. Like after Superman and Lois, I need to just like sit in silence with my thoughts. <laughs> I just I know I actually there wasn't I forget who the Twitter user was, but they felt the same. They're like, I'm coming off of um Superman and Lois and now hopping into Tom Swift, still processing, but here we go. I know they they both ask for so much in different ways where it's Tom Swift, you have to like suspend your disbelief of his like inventions and the things that he does mm-hmm. and like it's a little bit larger than life um so it's a it's a, a difficult one to punch sometimes it is it is um so I, I, I'm, I mean i'm glad we're, i'm glad we only have one more week <laughs> of the pairing <laughs> and then we can just have thomas Lift, um yeah. who's giving us snappy dialogue great inventions and deep emotional moments yeah what more could you want I don't know. I don't think there's anything more they can give us besides, you know, what they've been planning. I'm waiting to see what they've been plotting um, and to see where it goes. That's why I'm excited for the Cotillion episode. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Speaking of things, you know what, Michael, I will say this. I am excited for the season eight finale and not because I just want the season to be over, but because um, Part one of the season finale was a ride. I, I told you it was both amazing and a cluster banana. Uh, <laughs> of the flash. I don't think you said the flash yet. Oh, sorry. The flash. Yeah, sorry. Of the I'm flash. Look, I'm looking forward to seeing what you guys say about this episode. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the flash uh, negative part one was amazing and a cluster banana. And I say that because they gave us so much and yet did the most. Um, in ways that did not benefit the story. But Michael, I'll, I'll let you go first as far as the start to the unpacking of it. Well, not to repeat myself, but were to even begin, there was so much in that episode. And I don't think it was quite as seamless as Superman at Lois did. I think this is the problem with the fact we talked about how they have too many stories leading into the season finale. So they felt the need to stick them all in it. And you and me both know that there was one that felt completely out of place. Um, but I will say that... The seal? I saw the tweet. Yes, it's seal. yes. Yes, it's the seal. It's <laughs> yes, the it seal. Um, I, now, I will come and fight for Cecile against the haters, but I do think the show has a tendency to 
write that character into a very corny corner and they did it last night it was like we had um the reverse flashes love life with Mina as everything's going great for them. But then the forces showed up, it made it all darkness and despair. Meanwhile, Caitlin pops up and jumps into like a frozen chamber to turn herself into Frankenfrost or something, darkness and despair. And then you've Cecile, I'm stealing people's metapyrus and sticking them into somebody else. And like, this is completely out of place. The story is fine, but had the complete change in tone from this finale that's full of darkness and despair to suddenly being all quirky and I'm getting superpowers just felt completely out of place. It didn't feel right at all. The fact that Cecile might be the most powerful meta in Central City, that's interesting. I know a lot of people don't like that and on paper it sounds dreadful, but that could be interesting. I just, I, we saw her in battle then with the forces at the end. Yes, Cecile, give us that power. But like, let it have some stakes. Um, but aside from that, I love the reverse flash at Mina stuff. Seeing Eobard happy for a change. He doesn't deserve it. But like this Eobard, like I, I, I let him have the world because he doesn't know what he did in his former life. Um, uh, Fast Track is fantastic. I just love her. I hope she's a series regular in season nine. Like that's how you introduce a character in two episodes that make her more important than the rest of the main cast. Um, sorry, Chester and Allegra. And uh, then you have the the forces. I did not like the forces in season seven. So now that we're doing the negative forces, I'm on the fence about that, but at least it has stakes. I don't care about the forces. Dion, I'm starting to care about, but other than our gothic queen, Speed Force Nora, I don't care about the other two forces. I'm sorry. Um, so I don't care about the negative forces. But, but that ending when nice Eobard ripped his face in two and evil Eobard was underneath, played by Tom Cavanaugh once again. Like, did Sam Raimi direct this episode? Like, that was, <laughs> that, that, that was body horror. Like, I didn't expect to see that in The Flash. Um, Although I will say, why did the old reverse flash shoe turn into the new reverse flash shoe just because the face got ripped off? Now that, that I didn't, that that's not possible. But okay, aside from that, the face that was very violent for the flash, and it worked in that moment. It's like a very like here's Eobard kind of moment. <laughs> it was just that moment. You see that moment at the end when Barry faced off with the reverse flash, and the two of them face to face like two old arch nemesis. That gave me like series finale vibes. So I don't, I don't know why we're doing it in season eight, save it for season nine. But like all in all, the episode had great stakes, but there is one glaring issue with it. And it's not the seal arc. It was the way the iris time sickness was handled. I'm so happy to see her again, but I'm not necessarily sure the cost was worth it. But I will let you take it from there because I've talked too much. So please, you'll, you'll say it better than I will. I, um, so everyone knows like team Iris was out here sitting and ready to see what they were going to give us. Um, I really did actually like the beginning when she got mm -hmm. to be with her kids. There has not been enough time where um, Candace and um, Jessica and Jordan all got to be in a scene together, just them. So I really loved seeing the kids try to save their mom. Um, but I did have to laugh a few times when they were like, dad can save us. Your daddy's not doing nothing. He's not doing anything but playing D&D &D, uh, and uh, trying to help another speedster, which, you know, I'm fine with him helping fast track, but you think this man would be doing things all up trying to save Iris, but he was not. Um, and all that was good. It's just like, as you know, she's sitting in the lab and she's talking to, is that Earth 3, Nora? I think that's Earth 3, Nora. Um, yes. Yeah, wait, yeah. What's, what's her name? No, uh, Joan Garrick, isn't it? Jay's wife. 
Yeah, as, as they're talking and then she's realizing, you know, like, I can see the future. I can see the timeline is changing. And like Dion just snaps and push, puts her like right in um, to the middle of, of Barry's uh, lightning bolt blast. And I was like, so not only is she a pawn, which you revealed to us earlier in the episode, but she's a pawn that has to die. And I'm like, how many times must we see Iris West die on the flash in such horrible she dies again. Ways. Oh, she's oh, she's yeah. dead. Yeah, like uh, like dead dead, or like this is just a version of her that's. Oh, dead. she's not dead dead. Eric already hopped onto a podcast like I don't know how many weeks ago to be like she's she's gonna be happy by the end of um, the season. How that's going to be, no one knows. But she's not dead dead. I, I spoiled that. You know what? Y'all can just be spoiled. I it's gonna be what it is. Um, but we just don't know how she's gonna get back. She she turned into Reed just to give you. Um, some contact, not contact, a visual of what happened to her. She dies and then she turns into green dust and then she flies right into Eobard. And that is how you get the new, the, the body horror um, breaking of the face version of, of Tom Cavanaugh's Eobard. Can I just say, and I think I've said this before, but whenever you guys talk about the show, it feels like the previous episode doesn't feed into the next episode. It just feels <laughs> like a different show every week. And and I mean no shade by any of this. It's just an observation um, that the character you guys seem to talk the least about <laughs> is the man that the show is named after. <laughs> and I don't know if it's just that he's barely in it or like he's like the least important currently, but I just find it funny. <laughs> so season eight has been trying because Barry has not consistently been the lead of the storylines. So for crazy to me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's crazy to everybody. I've, I've, it's there's, it's been a complaint all season. Um, the Iris stuff made it worse because in order to hide the fact that they probably didn't have anything, you know what? I'm just going to get a little real right now. Cause I feel like it's necessary. Do it, um, do it, do it, do it. <laughs> So while I was watching, and this might not be the case, you know, I'm not in the writer's room, but while I was watching and it was revealed that Iris was upon the whole time, I realized they didn't actually have an ending to the time sickness storyline that like it seemed like they did it. And then they got they got through the to the four episodes where she was going to disappear. And during that time frame, they might have realized they didn't have content for how Barry was going to solve it. So what you get by the by this first part of the season finale is other people having lines that, that, well, Barry having lines that doesn't make sense. So for instance, he says, um, I thought, uh, I was wondering if Dion would be infected by Iris's time sickness. I don't remember that man saying that. And those, mm-hmm. it, not when he was with Dion, not like he was worried, I think about what would happen in the still forest because she was in it. But like, he didn't, I don't remember him saying anything about um, Dion maybe being infected by what's going on with Iris. And then someone um, pointed out something that was that felt true to me um, during the live tweet was that uh, Iris's time sickness happened before he got rid of Eobard's powers. So how mm, did the uh, negative forces use her in order to, um, how did Eobard use her to get what he wanted? That doesn't make any sense. Oop. And oh, oop. That's a good <laughs> point. That's a very good point. Um, oh, we love a plot hole. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No, that that makes it worse than <laughs> hindsight. Just rocked Michael's world. <laughs> <laughs> I had notes for this, and this was not on it. <laughs> um, uh, 
yeah, I don't even know what to say that. I, 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 no doubt there will be something written in, in season 10 or whatever to try and make, Ooh, make sense. Manifesting but a season I, 10? I'm not manifesting it, but I'm predicting it. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, that storyline has been a shambles, a complete and utter shambles. And yeah, I agree. Um, Reed's right. Barry has been at the front and center of other people's storylines and never fully in his own. He hasn't really had a story this season. And that's the problem is the longer these shows goes on, it comes more about Team Supergirl, Team Arrow, Team Flash, instead of about the protagonist. And thus their stories mean less and less. I will say that this episode felt like it had all the right ingredients. The problem is it was just working with a very messy storyline and it did the best that it could. So all in all, that was a solid eight episode for me. Probably the most sticks the flashes felt like it had all season but if it had the right storyline it could have been a 10 because it felt like the flash of old but as far as long as it's juggling this time sickness nonsense it's never going to be uh, a 10 for me because that's just like a big uh, it was a plot hole before we realized there was actually a plot hole in it it it's it's the weak link and you know i said this as someone who adores iris and it made me sad to see her on screen because you're like this is all you could feed her she deserves far better than that um and it 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 makes me feel guilty that i enjoyed the flash more when she was off screen because at least she wasn't getting lumbered with this dreadful material sorry it's dreadful um now that she i was going to say now that she's back but she went and died in the end of the episode but like now that that death was it was great in the moment, but it didn't carry any of the sticks that her fake out death in season three did. It's just it's really predictable that she's going to be back. She's going to come back somehow, and that's that's obviously good. We're happy about that. But everything just feels very surface layer at the moment, and I think it all stems from the fact that the time sickness storyline was a major major misfire, and it's bringing down a season that has been otherwise pretty solid, not perfect, far from it, but pretty solid, and I. I'm intrigued to see how the finale juggles it now, because since it's as, as far as time sickness goes, that's over with. We could be looking at a very strong finale. I just hope it handles it right. I hope so too, because we've been doing this for a while now. Um, and I don't, if t- the season eight storyline wasn't quote unquote time sickness, because it really wasn't the storyline, but that's what they kept telling us. Um, that I feel like I'd feel better about the season two, especially if Iris was given something and then and Barry was giving worthwhile storylines. I mean, he had his moments. I mean, for instance, in this episode, his talk with Mina was really nice. Mm-hmm. I, I thought him every time they have Barry work with a new speedster, I love it. Um, mm-hmm. He's he's so good um, as a mentor, and you can see that Grant really loves those scenes. Um, he revealed uh, Barry revealed himself once again uh, <laughs> at this point. Like the whole Central City is going to know. Um, it and gave me flashbacks to when he revealed himself to Kramer and then they did absolutely yeah. nothing with then that storyline. So yeah. like Amina's just got that storyline now and like I'm, I'm all for it. True. And I guess they probably won't do anything with it after this as well. <laughs> um, but then again, the way that she was screaming, which by the way, was a mood. Um, <laughs> I like that she's probably like out of the speedster game. That was very traumatic to go through. Um, that was like her love and he's definitely gone. Um mm-hmm. He's, he's not coming back. Uh, but I, to, just to wrap this up, I think that uh, I really want to see the finale because I want to see how they bring Iris back. I want to see how Bart and Nora play into this. Um, they're going to play fast and lose with the time again because the fact that they're still able to fight with their father when their mom is gone, like mm-hmm. one is time going to catch up to them because I think I saw like a day to night transition with the two of them. 
And that doesn't make any sense. The time, like, are we doing another, the timeline will, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, not set, the timeline will set in 24 hours type of thing. Um, or are we just gonna be like hand wave it and they can just run around as much as they want to. And this is why the yeah. fact that it doesn't make sense. Uh, their timeline uh, mythology has been wrong since season three um, and they're going to keep being wrong, but we'll roll with it and see how it goes. I'm just excited to see Team Flash back. I mean, when I say Team Flash, I mean the Flash family full of speedsters. I can't wait to see Jay Garrick back. And I just, I am looking forward to a big lightning battle in the end of the season because that's what the Flash does best. And let it just give us one more match between Barry and the reverse Flash because we know that's where it's heading. If we get that and Iris come back, I'm happy with how the season ends, given how, how messy it's been. Same. And if Candace Patton calls it quits, but her character is alive, mm-hmm. um, I think yeah. I'll be okay. Like if she wants to peace out, but she's good. She's happy. Barry and her are, are cemented. The future is all together. I want to see her pregnant on the show. Mm-hmm. That might not happen. But if she's got to leave, I, I understand. I don't care. <laughs> Well, I wish you guys luck for the finale. I can't wait to hear about it. <laughs> and you will. Long, you will. long monologues about it. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, so just to end this episode, we have a brief green table talk. So pull up a chair, y'all, if you haven't already sat down or if you need to sit down. This is about the Save the Shows campaigns for Legends of Tomorrow um, and Batwoman. Um, the first thing we're going to talk about real quick is just the reality of campaigns like this um, and the options that are available to you. Um, I, especially with the Save the Legends of Tomorrow campaign, I know you guys want multiple seasons. I don't know if that is in the cards. Um, Maybe another season. Uh, I know the campaign wants more. I mean, that's the official statement. Like they're spreading positivity, which they should, um, and awareness. Uh, But some of us can differ you know, about how to move forward with this. Like everyone else met, there are some people who might not want a full season or are just dealing with the fact that that's not going to happen. And I don't think it's okay to be like, don't be a part of the campaign. I think everyone should be a part of the campaign if they want the show to be saved. I think the beauty about campaigns like this and to mirror the beauty of Legends of Tomorrow is that it's a lot of walks of life that come together for a joint goal it's an eclectic lineup of different kinds of people with different beliefs and different um, motivations, same motivations, but different way of approaching it and all working towards the similar, same goal. At the end of the day, the goal here is to save your show in some capacity whatsoever. And the people will have different opinions on it. I don't, I want as many seasons of legends of tomorrow as possible, but I do recognize that the most likely outcome here is either one season or one TV movie. That's just likely. But some people might want to talk about it being brought back on another show or then tying it up on another show. That's not ideal. I don't want that either. But that's a conversation that does need to be had so we can see how people feel about that and then move on to the next one. It's an important time of different opinions, different possibilities and different outcomes. But I feel like every voice should be heard and not judged. Yeah. And it's vital to sort of accept that results may not be immediate. Mm-hmm. like it's not going to happen by the end of the year I'm sorry it's just not and I think it's also important to really challenge yourself to not see counter opinions or counter 
options that go against what you particularly believe in or want as an affront to your own fandom. Because when you're so entrenched in a fandom, whether it's a TV show, a pop star, a movie, a book, whatever it is, I mean, we all have our own set of perspectives, what we deem to be the truth for that particular thing. And when you see somebody else say something different, um, it's not a slight on what you think or want. And I don't think, particularly for a campaign to save a show, I don't think there needs to be so much um, inter-fandom, like, bad blood. Like, it doesn't need to be, you don't need to comment on somebody else's um, purely just posing a question about the future of the show and being rude. Like, that's just not what needs to happen. It's not the basis of the show from what I've heard about Legends of Mm -hmm. Tomorrow. Like, that's not what needs to happen. And it's not going to bring the show back to be nasty. I'm sorry. It's just not. No, I think that the the focus is saving the show. Um, And granted, there there are people who hop on to, like, save Legends, save Batwoman posts, or the posts about, like, them deserving better and are rude because they don't want the shows back. Um, But, like less energy spent on those folks and more energy spent on those who are uplifting um, the shows and, and wanting better, better for them. And also don't be like them. Like if someone has a counter opinion, the, the motion, the move, you know, the wave is not immediately calling somebody outside of their name or saying that's like not what you want. Like there's a difference between having a discussion or just saying, you know, this isn't the post for that. For instance, if someone is calling for um, like in their tweet, if someone is calling for the show to be saved for multiple seasons, don't be the person that says we're only gonna get a TV movie on that tweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, if someone is saying they'd like a TV movie, don't be the person that says, no, we don't want that. We want um, all the seasons. And then like going back and forth, like. Back, spending energy going back and forth it, um, isn't worth your time, especially when the time that you've allotted for yourself, because everybody's busy, everybody's got schedules. Um, the time that you've allotted for yourself is to promote the campaign and what you would like to see. And that just doesn't look good from the mm-hmm. outside. Like the optics, optics aren't good. If people are like, oh, that's what the this campaign's about. Why would they bring that show back when the fans aren't even on the same page? I mean, it's free to tweet. You can keep scrolling. I, I mean, I I just, this is like a blanket statement. I just wish more people would think before they hit send tweet. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, what does that save you in your day to to not say something? Keep it in your head. Like, just if it's not constructive, it doesn't need to be said. Not yeah. to be Thumper or whatever that Bambi character is. <laughs> <laughs> But you're right, though, like if it's not like keep it in your head, at least put it in the group chat because your friends will take care of you. Um, it's like, oh, do not tweet that. I understand the sentiment, but that's not it. Don't do that. Um, or like they'll correct you about like if you're wrong about information and because being loud and wrong on the Internet is always funny, but not for the person who tweeted it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No follow up to that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I mean, but aside from this green, green table talk, we also want you guys to keep fighting. We just want you to, to fight for the show in a way that also doesn't, you know, impact other people's mental health or yeah, sometimes fight, your but own. Don't fight with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe, maybe 
fight's not the right word. Keep championing champion. champion. Champ. Yeah. How do you say that word? Champion. <laughs> champion. <laughs> Just keep supporting your show. Like that's all that you can do. And there's no need to, if you both want the same goal, which is more of the show. I mean, at that, at this point, seeing the state of this network and all of the shows that have been canceled, we should take whatever we can get. That doesn't mean that we need to particularly ask for the very least, but the goal is the same in the end. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the more they stay, the campaigns stay in the news. Um, even if it's just simply reporters asking, you know, uh, would you come back? Do you think there's a path to come back? The more light that's put on these campaigns. Um, well, and I'm going to say this as myself, um, Reed and Michael don't have to agree, but I will also say um, no one is time to cut your losses. There are some campaigns out here who've been fighting for years. And yes, there are shows that got picked up like a few years later, um, but that is a rarity. Um, so don't so don't be some of these hashtag save campaigns that have been on this motion for like five years. Don't do that. <laughs> like no one to cut loose the cut, cut the thing. Mm-hmm. I wholeheartedly agree with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, but that is it for this show. Um, we, those who are in the campaigns, we wish you all the best. We are in the trenches with you. Uh, we are hashtagging as much as we can as well. And of course, if you tag us in the billboards you put up, we will retweet them. Um, mm-hmm. That is part of the, what we like doing um, on multiple platforms. So. Um, stay championing the shows. Stay being loud. Just don't be awful to one another. Yeah. All right. That's it for us. Uh, we're the CW Spiral. I'm Sabrina. I'm Michael. And I'm Reed. See y'all.